0: Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October the 8th, 2018. This is episode 2307 of the Survival Podcast. It is a listener feedback show, and uh, if you get onto the website today, you'll see a picture there that goes with this particular episode. And I've been having fun with some pop culture stuff uh, and the images associated with the the episodes lately, specifically... Uh, the listener feedback shows uh, and the expert counsel shows and the call shows. It uh, might be worth cruising by the website once in a while just maybe to see those photos or check out our Instagram. Dorothy always puts them up on there. Our Instagram, of course, being It's a Jack Life. And today, uh, we have a master telling you how to get an answer from me on the show or otherwise. We have Mr. Yoda. Yep, Yoda, that Yoda from Star Star Wars. And his uh, his caption on the image of Mr. Yoda or I should say Mass Jedi Master Yoda, is if an answer you seek from Spirco, then TSPC must you put in the subject line of your email, or hear back, you will not. No, I'm not going to try to do the Yoda voice, but um, that indeed is, uh, is the case. You want to be on a show like this with your content, send me an email, send it to Jack at theSurvivalPodcast.com. Make sure you put the an acronym TSPC, as though it's a word, in your email uh, headline, your, your subject. And it will be more likely than not that I will dig it out of the spam box, which is where a lot of them end up, especially if you've not emailed me a lot before. If I haven't whitelisted your email yet, you might end up in there. Uh, a lot of times you've you got links to articles and stuff like that, so it triggers different things. So uh, that TSPC is your your golden ticket to make sure I see your email It doesn't guarantee that you'll be on the air, but a lot of times I do little quick one-sentence answers to people. uh, And I do read all my email, and the the emails I get from you guys on different things shapes my answers on the show and shapes my view, even if I don't cover them all because, well, I can't, just out of time thing. What do we got today, though? Pretty good uh, group of stuff here, a lot of diversity. How about this? Okay, I will talk about Kavanaugh. But only as part of a history segment i 'm going, going to speak on this one time and be done with it, but there are some things i 'd like to say and i 'd like to uh, to go out with a little election prediction in response to this thing because I find that you know making predictions is something that you only do if you 're smart when you 're pretty sure about it and i 'm pretty sure here and I have an interesting history lesson that coincides with today 's date. October the eighth is uh, a day in history that we will talk about something that will happened in one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight And how that ties into this. Um, More options for advanced medical training for civilians. Andy wrote in with some ideas on that. Question on cover crops for Texas gardens. Uh, I'm going to tell you some things I wouldn't do unless you want to do something really different. Um, Dutch buckets and aquaponics. Good idea or bad? We'll talk about that. Uh, And while we're on aquaponics, i got another question on using a pond for aquaponics. New variation, same answer. Uh, another successful TSP-inspired business, we'll talk about that. A guy that's really kicking ass at taking names, that just started a business over a year ago and said, I'm going to make it happen. Uh, and it's a really great story and shows you what can be done. Uh, getting the most out of a creek on your property, I'll give you some ideas on that. Another look at the no right to complain if you don't vote argument, The the... Article in question is really about poor voter turnout in midterm elections in the country. It's really long, um, and I'm not going to read it to you at all. But there's a comment in it that I I, I just felt that it would be a good time to talk about yet again. Uh, Planting trees from seed, and doing your planting in the winter. We have a question on that. What people losing their minds over the presidential alert text says about our nation. And I want to slay a myth while I cover this. I want to slay a myth while I cover this, um, started by John McAfee. That's just not true in any way, shape, or form. And it shows how disconnected people are from reality. And, And we'll get to all that in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. You know, I am a big believer in herbal remedies. I really think that it's a great place to start, uh, especially with chronic conditions. I think sometimes herbals actually work well with pharmaceuticals as well. Uh, it doesn't have to be one to the exclusion of the other, but in general, herbs are safe and they're gentler on the, on the body and the system than harsh drugs. And so I, I was really happy many, many years ago, I guess it's over eight years ago now, when Western Botanicals approached me about sponsoring the show. Because when I checked into them, I realized I had a company that was honest. They weren't going to tell you that Colonial Silver was going to cure cancer or something stupid like that. Uh, they had great products, a stellar reputation, uh, and they offered just about anything. If it's legal and available and herbal in the United States, you can get it from Western Botanicals, and it will either be organically grown or wildcrafted. You can learn more at their awesome website, westernbotanicals.com, and they have a special discount program that you get for free as a member of the MSB, and the first year you get it, it will more than cover your first year of cost in MSB by itself. That's how great a supporter they are. Next up today, ready-made resources. Back when I was a business consultant, I used to tell companies, the best thing you can do when you market your company is say what you do and do what you say. That if you do that, people will understand what you do, and they will appreciate that you deliver on what you promise. Ready-Made Resources got that right into the name of their company. That's what they do. They provide all the resources you need for your prepping. Ready-Made, ready-to-go, point, click, and buy on their website, and they've got it all from the practical to the tactical, from guns to gardens and everything in between. You'll find it all at the company that does what it says and says what it does, ReadyMadeResources.com. And with that, let's take a look at this day in history. Like I said, this is actually going to – I think it's going to confuse you at first as to why it would make me talk about the Kavanaugh situation with the Supreme Court. Uh, But it actually – there's a hell of a history lesson here. Uh, And it's not contained in the history segment at History.com, the actual lesson. But on this day in 1998, the U.S. House of Representatives initiates a complaint, the, the Bill Clinton impeachment inquiry. Basically, they started impeachment proceedings against Bill Clinton. Um, for those that, that don't know the basics of this, let's, the very basics of this is there were some issues with investment, real estate deals, fundraising violations, claims of sexual harassment, and cronyism involving the firing of White House travel agents for Bill Clinton. It resulted in the appointment of an independent counsel, in this case the guy's name was Ken Starr, who began investigating Bill Clinton. And in that entire mess, Bill Clinton was only really nailed on one thing. And I'm not getting to get into the, how one thing leads to another, but in a separate lawsuit he had testified that he had not had an extramarital affair with an intern, of course, named Monica Lewinsky. And when he was then pushed to answer that question by Ken Starr, he refused. Starr then said he was basically um, obstructing justice and subpoenaed him to get him to go on the record, where then he did admit, of course, that he had a relationship that was... Um, inappropriate, and by then, of course, we had the infamous blue dress that had a DNA sample left by our president on the blue dress that Miss Lewinsky had. In the end, in the end, um, what Bill Clinton was nailed on was perjury for lying about getting a blowjob. That's it. That's it. I want to tell you, I'm going I'm to confess something to you guys. In 1998, I hated the Clintons, maybe more than I do now, because I was part of the dichotomy. I was a small government Republican that still believed that the GOP would one day give us the wonderful, small, L libertarian platform that they always talked about. And I was right in the dichotomy, the way many of you are right now, and I completely believed that I voted in every election, You know, this is before I even became a full-on libertarian. Libertarian was an adjective to me at the time. I didn't really even get the libertarian party or the libertarian principle. I certainly was a long way from becoming an anarchist and an adherent to the non-aggression principle. And I think it helps me understand what goes on in politics today so much better. Because I didn't care that it was really insignificant bullshit. I just wanted him gone because he was my political enemy. So I was okay with whatever was used to go after him. But here's the history lesson and how it plays to Kavanaugh. Most people in America thought, "Yeah, he's a scumbag. And most people in America felt like, this isn't something you impeach president over. Now, of course, the loudest voices in a resistance movement are the ones that are featured. So it looked like a lot of people really did feel that way. But in the end, the majority of people did not. And here's your history lesson and how it pertains to Kavanaugh. The Democrats cleaned up in the next election. The Republicans got their hats handed to them. And even the Republican leadership after that next election said, what we did was a gross miscalculation in judgment. It was a political mistake we shouldn't have done. That is what the Democrats have just done with Kavanaugh. And... I'm gonna now do something that's very difficult for most Americans to do in their mind. I'm gonna separate some issues. Because I know there's people out right now, they're like you're you're and you're you're just, you're just angry and you're foaming at the mouth, and you say Jack's gonna defend Kavanaugh, he's an enemy of the Fourth Amendment. That's one issue. Okay? And then we have this other issue in how this entire witch hunt involving this doctor Ford chick was handled. So let's talk about the Fourth Amendment first so you can stop salivating. I am sorry if you are a big believer in the conservative values and constitutional judiciary and everything like that. You thought you had a hero in Brett Kavanaugh. You do not. Brett Kavanaugh is one of the chief architects in his role as a staff member for the Bush administration of the U.S. Patriot Act. And he has a terrible stance on the Fourth and thereby also the Fifth amendments, when it comes down to anything involving terrorism and cybersecurity and things like that. His exact words were that he, he did not, with warrantless data collection of your phone usage, Okay, warrantless data collection, all the stuff you were so pissed off when you found out about it because Barack Obama was president, and you were rightfully pissed off, but I have a feeling most of you were pissed off because Barack Obama was president. Kavanaugh said, in a actual court, I don't see a problem with it, and even if there is, it's too important. It's too important to adhere to the Constitution. So Brett Kavanaugh is not a friend of the Constitution in regard to the fourth and, again, thereby fifth amendments of the United States Constitution. Because if you are taking somebody's communications without warrant, they are thereby providing testimony against themselves. So you violated both. Now, it, it, my opinion on this is probably less important than the opinion of a man who I think actually really knows his shit about stuff like this, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge Andrew Napolitano came out opposed to Brett Kavanaugh from the very beginning on these grounds. Okay, that's issue one. The more important issue, and this is why I think the Republicans are going to do well in the midterms—certainly better than they would have otherwise—is this idiocy, this lunacy around uh, Doctor Ford. Okay, you have 34-year-old allegation. With zero supporting evidence. And no matter how much you don't like the guy, you can't conflate these two things. Well, you don't, and and if you don't like him because, let's say, you're pro choice and he is pro life, you still can't, if you are going to be honest and principled, you can't conflate those two issues. Then you make a case there, and then over here, we say this in America an allegation. Absent evidence is not sufficient to convict a man in the court of law or the court of public opinion and alter his life. And I have spent the last several weeks on social media defending Brett Kavanaugh, even though I do not really enjoy the fact that he is now a Supreme Court justice, that I think he should have been opposed on those 4th and 5th Amendment issues, and that those make him disqualified from sitting at the top court of the land. A man who will say, even if it's unconstitutional, this is too important not to let it stand. That's not what a justice is supposed to do. A justice is not supposed to do that. There is a process by which we make allowances for things like that. It's called the amendment process. If there was a new amendment that made an exception for this type of thing... And you're able to get sixty-six percent of the states to sign off on it, etc., and go through the amendment process, then whether I agree with it or not, the justice should say, this is constitutional, because there it is in the Constitution. But being opposed to a person cannot allow you to be part of a witch hunt, which this 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 Blazy Ford thing was. This is this is nonsensical. And 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 You know, you could be mad at the president for making fun of her, and it was really stupid to do so, but there wasn't actually anything he said that wasn't true. When was it? I I don't really know. Whose house was it at? I don't know. And this is why that accusation of itself was a brilliant political move, but it failed. When you ask someone to prove they didn't do something, you're asking them to prove a negative, which is very difficult to begin with. But when you can't say when it happened and where it happened then that person is unable to use the best form of, of, of proof they would have, I was not there because I was over here. If you say this happened, let's say, June the 4th, you know, 1982, and he can conclusively show you he was not at that location on that date, then you actually have uh, uh, the only evidence that a person can be used to prove a negative. However, the person asking that is making the accusation of a, a positive, this thing here happened, has to provide some sort of corroborating evidence, especially in a 34-year-old allegation. And the Democrats used this woman, who I believe is, has mental problems. This woman, I think, is mentally messed up. I think she was abused in her life. I don't know if this did or didn't happen. This thing she claims happened... And I don't know if it did or didn't happen with Brett Kavanaugh. It is possible that something happened to her and it wasn't him. And in all this repressed memory stuff, it became him. It's possible that he did it. However, you cannot, I'll tell you as bad as I think it is that Brett Kavanaugh is not a friend of the Fourth Amendment. What I want less is to live in a nation where we get rid of the presumption of innocence. If Republicans had not held their ground on this and mousy-ass Collins hadn't had somebody write a 97-page dissertation on why she was voting yes and not grown a spine for once, you would have set a precedent that all you need to do to oppose somebody politically is have somebody stand up and say, this person did something to me, absent any evidence. And as bad as things are in this country right now, as bad as they are, that is the one shred that keeps the United States where it has always been, and that is even as screwed up as we are, we are just at least a little bit better than every other country out there. I really believe that, and that's why you don't see a lot of people leaving this country to go to another one. There's a lot of people trying to get in. There's ain't nobody's trying to get out. The only people that are trying to get out are doing it for tax purposes. That's it. No one's running away from this country because, oh, it just sucks here. That's a myth. It doesn't happen. There's a long line of people waiting to get in. And one of the reasons is that presumption of innocence. That to 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 to, to bring an allegation against someone, you must have something. And if if I believe if a, if a significant investigation into the background of Lazy Ford were done it would get worse and worse and worse and i'm not going to go down the rat hole of the things we already know we do know this though one of her friends who she claimed was at this place when this thing happened that she doesn't remember when or where okay who said i even believe her because i be- she's my friend i believe her if she said it happened it happened i wasn't there i don't know about it i have no idea what she's talking about that person came out and said they were pressured to change their story that 's obstruction of justice, folks. that is obstruction of justice. and I think the American people looking at the hysteria that the left 's gone into, the people beating on the door of the Supreme Court, etc, has done the one thing that the, the Republicans have not been able to do motivate their voters, and i don 't think it's going to be you know a, a, a massive landslide for the for the GOP. I don't think it will be as good as it was for the Democrats after the impeachment of Clinton. I do think that whatever number of House seats they lose, they will lose less than they would have otherwise. I don't think it was as bad as the TV told you that it was in the first place, but it was pretty bad. I think at this point, you may see the Republicans hold the House by a small majority, and you will probably see in the Senate, the Republicans will probably pick up two to three seats And there is a lot of stuff that the House has already passed that with a couple more votes, the Senate you can just pick up and run with. They don't have to get it through the House again. There's a lot of stuff sitting there. It's going to be interesting to see the way things happen. Now, just for those that are into the show, this is an analysis It is not picking a side. I now have a, a man serving on the Supreme Court of the United States that will serve for likely as long as I will live we're not much different in age, who I find to be an enemy to the Fourth Amendment, and to a lesser degree, but to some degree, the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution. I am not happy about that. But, as a pragmatist, he was never not going to be confirmed of that in the first place. You would think, with 48 Democratic senators voting no, thumbs down on this guy, screaming that millions of Americans will be killed... If they, they literally said that. That's a legitimate quote by members of the Democrats. That people will die if this man is elected. Millions of Americans will die. That level of hysteria. That with a home run, like this man is an architect of the Patriot Act, and said the Fourth Amendment doesn't apply to warrantless surveillance, and even if it did, well, it's just too important anyway. Do you would think that one of those 48 senators would say, Hey! Hey, look at this! None of them did. You know why? They all voted for it. They all supported it. That type of of warrantless surveillance has been bipartisan supported like crazy across the board by the U.S. Congress, both houses, the Senate and the House. Absolutely. So none of them could point to it because I think Mr. Kavanaugh would have just said, and rightly so, Senator, I believe you voted for that legislation. I thought you would have been pleased with my interpretation of the Constitution in regard to it. Surely you're not telling me that you passed and voted for legislation that you thought was unconstitutional. So there was no way anybody was going to bring it up anyway. Not in Congress. And here's the big thing. All the people screaming, marching in the streets, writing letters, all that shit, the real and the whitewash, the real and the astroturf, none of it was going to ever have an impact anyway. It wasn't going to happen. Not, not in any way, shape, or form, guys. It's over. But you watch your midterm elections. Th- this just altered the course of history in more ways than one. Moving on to better things, because I really don't like digging deep into politics anymore, because I think it's just the ass Clown Circus. And the ass Clown Circus has, has started feeding their clowns steroids lately. Um, I did get an email from Andy, who's a cool dude. He's been here... Um, a couple times to workshops. He's actually helped us out as help. I'm not sure. I think he might be help at this one coming up. Dorothy handles the staff, so I don't really know. Um, But we had a question on Friday for Doc Bones on advanced medical training, and Andy's got some suggestions for other ways to get advanced medical training. He says, comment on some other options for advanced medical training, as Doc Bones discussed last Friday's show. The best way I know to get advanced medical training is to join your company's emergency response team. The company I work for has paid me to have a tremendous amount of ongoing training in medical and other areas in exchange for me responding to, thankfully rare, emergencies at work. I work in a facility that has production work going on, so there's plenty of call for these responders. If you work in an office, you might have more trouble with this. That said, if your company does have some sort a physical production somewhere, then you can probably find someone in the company that is already doing it and transfer those skills over. Even if there's no manufacturing type work, you may still be able to get it approved on other medical risks. Two fatalities at my company since I've been here were both heart attacks. Hmm. Next, regarding actual classes, my state, Indiana, has an EMR, emergency Respon- Emergency Medical Responder Certification, which is a step below an entire uh, basic, but still very advanced compared to Red Cross First Aid. This is what I'm certified at and may well be available for less cost or inconvenience than an EMT class. The last option I'll mention is the Red Cross Wilderness and Remote First Aid course. This was developed in conjunction with Boy Scouts about 10 years ago, specifically designed for training for those who are away from medical facilities. I used to be an instructor for this program, and the instructor training sucked. But I would say the actual course material was 80% plus as good as my state EMR training. Uh, I've been affiliated with the Red Cross in about six years. I haven't been affiliated with the Red Cross in about six years, but it looks like this is still available. Finding an instructor might be tough, but if you can find someone who is an EMR, EMT, and also a Red Cross instructor, it might be really easy for them to cross-train and present this to you if you had... If you had a few people who were interested, hope this helps, Andy. It uh, probably is helpful. And I think that's all great stuff, and I think getting as much training as you can on uh, you know, emergency medicine is a great idea. On the other hand, in most instances, uh, I, I think back to a, a talk. I remember at an event that I went to that uh, Dave Canterbury was also at, and Dave was uh, showing his minimalist stuff that he takes into the woods. And one of the things he had was an axe, and on the axe he had a roll of duct tape. It just kind of sat on the axe, so it was always there. And he also had a a handkerchief. And when somebody asked about his first aid kit, he pulled the duct tape off and held the handkerchief up. And he said, honestly, if these things won't fix it, you need a helicopter. I think that might be a little oversimplification, but I got the point that he made. In most instances, basic training is all that you're able to use anyway. You're not going to perform you know an emergency tracheotomy with a steak knife and a big pen uh, you, If you do, you're probably going to get sued even if you do it right. I don't know if that's a reason not to, but you, you kind of see what I'm saying there. So I think that like these options are great, but I still think there's a limit to how much uh, a person who's not going to be a professional is going to be able to do because you find you find this doctors who show up for their first day of internship, they've now been through a a massive amount of education. Uh, They know more about medicine than anybody at at this level will ever know. But they can't do shit. They have to be taught everything. They really do. I mean, it takes time for them to be competent. And then if you stop doing something for long enough, you stop being competent at it. Um, When I was really young, for instance, this is totally different, but it's the same, it's the same but different, man, right? Okay, so when I was really young, I was like 22 years old when I first came to Texas, I needed a job, any job. I took a job making six bucks an hour packing boxes in a warehouse. And, you know, it's not the most intellectually challenging job, but you actually, there is actually a skill to... Each box is different, and each set of stuff that's going in there, it all has to go in there. Fit as much as you can, get it in there as fast as possible, and do it in a way where nothing gets damaged, and you're judged on your production. And in a couple months of doing it and working with some of their their better packers, I got really good at it. Good enough they offered me a full-time job, which, of course, I really wasn't interested in because that wasn't what I was going to do for the rest of my life. This was a way to make some money until I found a better job. Um, But I, I got to work at Pack Boxes really quickly it's not that complicated. It's certainly less complicated than, let's say, minor surgery. Right? But I guarantee you, if I was put back into that position, there's no way I would be as good, and not just because I'm older and, and not in the shape that I was in when I was 22. Right? But there's no way I would be as proficient because I haven't done it for, thank God, like 30 years. Right? 40, I'm sorry, 25 years, I guess, something in that, that range. Right? So that's, that's a good thing. that that, that, that I hadn't had to do that but it also means that I wouldn't be confident and I think a lot of stuff with with emergency response emergency care you're you're as good as you're, you're, you're as good as your level of practice so when you watch EMTs and paramedics respond to something man it just all clicks they know what they're doing because they do it every day so I think there's a limit to how much we can do but you know Do as, do as, do as much as you can and do what works for you. Um, next up, uh, Daniel asked me, he says, what do you recommend for a southeast Texas winter garden cover crop? Details were on the north side of Houston. Our church is a garden which has fallen into our care. We want to keep it in usable shape, but we'll not have a chance to plant and maintain it this fall in vegetables. We're thinking about cover cropping it for the winter so it doesn't just turn into weeds. I was thinking hairy vetch or clover, but wasn't sure. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, these are raised beds uh, with brought-in raised bed soil. Thanks, Daniel. I would not use clover unless you're going to go fukaoka on it. So what do I mean by that? Like So Masauba fukaoka... Uh, amazing guy from Japan. Uh, you, can, you can look him up if you want to, but he had a lot of different things that he did. And one of the things was that he would actually plant gardens with white Dutch clover and let the clover be mulch and then plant the vegetables into the clover and, and, and do that. And, and that that can work, and it is a good play in certain situations, not necessarily raised bed gardens for a community garden at a church, though. Just on a whole explanation to the people gardening alone, it might be complicated. So the problem with me for me with you using a clover is as a perennial, once you put that in there, um, it's going to be very difficult to eradicate it, and it's always going to be coming back from little pieces of root. Vetch is an annual, and vetch will produce a lot of organic matter, and vetch may not be a bad way to go. I wouldn't fault you if you did vetch. I would personally look, in your climate, you're going to have no trouble getting like Austrian winter pea or something like that through the winter. Austrian winter pea, bell beans, favas, anything like that. Uh, you're going to get a, a great nitrogen yield from the uh, biological activity uh, and the, the resom- resomial relationship with bacteria that fixes nitrogen in the soil. And as soon as you hit your hot summer months, uh, even if you're hacking it down and digging it in, it's also going to summer kill because it's not going to be able to handle the heat. So, so that's what I would do. I would also say though, I guess you don't have, t- you know, it's a time issue and can you get people to help and whatever and you're heading to the holidays. So I get it. But honestly, in an uh, area just north of Houston, you can, you can garden 365 days a year. Uh, there are crops you can plant. You don't even need frost protection. You know, if, you, if you're, you're planting broccoli and kale and other coal crops and stuff like that, cabbages, et cetera, uh, you can garden straight through your winters. So uh, might be thinking about doing that going into next season then. But I would go with some sort of a, uh, an annual for your cover crop. When you're doing a cover crop versus a pasture crop, you want to go heavily with annuals and want to use timed annuals that have a natural disposition to go away about the time you want them to. Uh, another one that you could do, except it won't go away, and it will take a lot of digging in, but it would be fantastic, and it will plumb choke out any weeds, would be white chiosote. Uh White chayosote will grow really big, grass-like clumps. Uh, it will choke out pretty much everything else. You're just going to have a hell of a bunch of digging to do to dig it up by the roots when you get into your spring uh, season. But since it's an annual, once you disturb those roots, it will be a nice little boy and die and it would add a huge amount of organic matter. But your easiest, safest bet, Austrian winter pea or bell bean or something like that, a, a, a leguminous crop, um, vetch is just going to be a really big plant compared to a lot of the peas and beans and, and those winter type, uh, you know, uh, I think bell bean is the one that's basically like small fava. Stuff like that is going to be a lot more uh, manageable at the point where you want to dig it in, till it in, or compost it. But Vetch would, in fact, work. So we'll move on from there. Next question I have is um, from Justin in Florida. He says, Dutch buckets in an aquaponic system, good idea or terrible idea? I searched hydroponics greenhouse on YouTube, found lots of videos of guys using them successfully or what looks successfully in hydro setups. Would these work well in an aquaponics setup? I realized that I couldn't use small one-quarter inch drip emitters like hydro setups since they clog up. Thoughts? Thanks for all your help, Justin of Florida. Justin, you absolutely can do Dutch buckets and aquaponics. And for those that don't really know what Dutch buckets are, basically you use some sort of a well-drained media. A lot of times people use vermiculite. You could also use more conventional um, aquaponics material like um, expanded shale, um, lava rock, uh, leka, which is the little marble shaped clay pellets. Any of that stuff would work. And unlike most of your stuff in aquaponics where when you're using media like that, you're doing an ebb and flow. In other words, the, 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 the container fills up from the bottom to the top and then it triggers a bell siphon or some other sort of, you know, method of control, and it dumps it really fast. So you fill up slow, you dump fast. You fill up slow, you dump fast. The way a Dutch bucket works is a very small amount of of liquid is continuously delivered into the bucket. They use drip emitters for this because, obviously, slow speed is fine. You could use something as simple as a straight valve and control your flow to as slow as you want. What you will find when you do that with aquaponics is any valve... Will over time clog, and it will have to be maintained. In other words, every day, three days, whatever, you're gonna have to go in there and basically just open it and put it back where you want it. And what I do with my valves, once I know where I want them set, I just take a black sharpie and I make marks on the valves themselves that line up with the handle, so I don't even have to look anymore. Once I know, okay, that's where it goes, so I'll go out there and I turn the valve all the way open and I just line it back up with the line and it's, it's set. That way, was it did it need to be? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I was doing my rounds, so boom, 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 boom. All those valves have been cleaned out now. Real simple. Um, but here's the so so from a logistical standpoint, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. You could even take a row of Dutch buckets, take a piece of let's say half inch or three quarter inch pipe, and drill holes in that pipe, and have one hole or two holes per bucket, and lay that pipe so it's across those buckets. And I would not put a cap on the end of it. I would put a valve, and I'll explain why in just a second. So a straight valve. And then plumb your your system into that and have it like a spray bar, basically, except it's a slow trickling spray bar and it's spread out. That would work, too. And then basically it's like a drip emitter, but it's a bigger hole so they don't clog. The reason I said do a straight valve at the end, so when when you have your line start to clog up, you open that valve so it just blows water out. And if you're smart, you direct it somewhere where that's a useful thing. It's only for a few seconds, though. And you just run your fingers along that spray bar and open up those holes and close it, and it'll start running again. You can do it that way. So logistically, fine. But let's talk about why Dutch buckets are used in hydroponics, because that will tell you whether or not it really makes sense. They primarily grow vining crops that are nutrient hogs, like cucumbers and tomatoes. That's the, the the primary stuff that they grow. And a lot of hydroponic growing operations, they like to grow tomatoes and cucumbers because they're a large crop. And they kind of help sell everything else. But the money is all made in greens. That's that's the big money. It's lettuce and it's spinach and it's stuff like that. That's because it's a fast crop. You know, we had, from the time we set a plant out to harvest, 20 days, 21 days, something like that. We can do them in cut and come again. There's a lot of ways we can keep that production up. And the tomato plant has to become big and then it starts to produce. So it's not as profitable. So we only want to give up so much space. And we have a nutrient hog. So what we'll do then is we use vertical space and Dutch buckets, which are basically a five gallon bucket generally. They can be made out of a lot of things though, but five gallon buckets are popular. And that means they take up very little space and we use like a vertical wall. And we kind of keep them out of the way of our greens. The other thing that we're able to do then is we're probably using a very small amount of nutrient for all of our greens. Because if we put too much nutrient into green crops, especially fast-growing in a hydroponic environment, they can get bitter. They can have too much nitrate in them, all kinds of things we don't want. And they don't really do very well. They don't like to be over-fertilized. Lettuces and spinaches and stuff don't need much fertilizer. Because they're not producing a fruit, they're only producing a leaf. And we're eating the leaf, got it? So... When we do Dutch buckets in a hydro system, it's really easy then to create our own tank and maybe even put a float valve in it and, and so it's refilled from the main system. But in that tank we can put more nutrient to better feed that tomato and that cucumber and these other nutrient hog you know vining crops. So now that's in a it's on its own little recirculation cycle and it's actually isolated off of the main system. That's not very practical in aquaponics. Because the whole point with aquaponics is the plants are cleaning the system. Okay, So the Dutch buckets in that system wouldn't do that much for you from a standpoint of being able to give them a different nutrient uh, diet. However, most aquaponic systems, there's plenty of nutrient there for those crops anyway. So you could do it, but understand like you're not getting the, the real reason hydroponic systems do this. That said, many uh, aquaponics commercial greenhouses grow tomatoes and things like them in Dutch buckets it, It's a very common thing uh, that is done so and it they do it more for that space saving uh, component and being able to fit those systems in. You also could absolutely do. Aquaponics feeding a Dutch bucket system and do supplemental nutrient to those more nutrient higher required um, systems, and if you think about it, it'd be really easy to do. You do exactly what I said with a hydro system. So you create your own reserve tank. There's no fish in it, and that reserve tank is plumbed in with a float valve to your main aquaponics system, and then that is recirculated with a separate pump. And you use a very small pump to do this, right? With a very small pump through your Dutch buckets. And we could easily put a pre-filter on the pump that would just require some maintenance to be cleaned out once in a while that would make line clogging a thing of the past. And then we could, you know, add our additional fertilizer more like a hydro system would use we just wouldn't need as much because we have a significant amount from the aquaponics already so i hope that makes sense um next one another aquaponics question i'll we'll be short on this one because the answer is the same as every time i give it, it says any this is from emily emily says any suggestions for a swimming pond or aquaponics system design i'm buying land for the first time and i want a place to swim i love aquaponics i have been running a small system for microgreens and herbs for about two years in various apartments, I was running here if you have any suggestions for building a swimming-sized pond combined with the food-producing aquaponics system. Thanks, Emily. Emily, what you want to do is called aquaculture, not aquaponics. You can definitely build a pond that you would swim in that would allow you to do things like, let's say, on your shoreline grow um, Chinese water chestnut or even maybe in some areas something like uh, water spinach, even though it's probably illegal where you are. You have to figure it out. Uh, department of Making You Sad, blah, 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 blah. You cannot do aquaponics with a pond, especially when you want to swim in. Aquaponics is a system where we take a tank and we put some sort of aquatic life in there and we do it at a stocking density higher than the system can support. We overstock. We produce excess nutrient beyond what the system can get rid of all by itself. And then we use plants and bacteria within the media to break down that nutrient excess and use it to feed the plants. If you tie a system like that into a pond, you're going to be always nutrient deficient. So it just doesn't work. The two don't go together. Ponds don't do aquaponics. Ponds are ponds. Aquaponic systems are tank-based systems. The amount of grow bed you would have to put in uh, and the amount of stock that you'd have to put into a pond like that i'm not saying it can't be done i'm saying for what you want to do it's not going to work all right i'm sure somebody somewhere could do it like a catfish farm or something with some industrial warehouse size set of grow media or something I'm, i guess it could be done but for practical purposes it can't so what is the exception what is the one thing that will work in this system And we can either do flow-through or static, and that is wicking beds. So if you wanted to do a system like this, you would design your pond to be what you want your pond to be. And then you would put in wicking beds, and you would run pond water as the irrigation source for the wicking beds, because you can fertilize the wicking beds with solid fertilizer, organic fertilizer, etc., however you want to, without affecting your aquatic system. So that's about the only way to make a pond work. And it doesn't matter if you want to swim in it, it don't matter if you want to grow fish in it, it don't matter if you want ducks swimming around in it. Ponds, aquaponics, it really won't work because you can't get enough nutrient. And if you can, you got a pond that's way out of balance. You don't want to you don't want to run a pond like that. It's just you know. Now, I'll make some exceptions. Low nutrient requirement vegetation will grow in things like ebb and flow beds off of a pond. You absolutely could put in a great big giant ebb and flow bed and plant it with mint, and it will grow like crazy, and it will actually be really good for the health of the pond. You could do another one and put something in it like cattails, and you could do another one and put something in it like watercress during the time of year the watercress will grow. You can probably get a Chinese water chestnut to grow in a system like that. None of these—they will take lots of nutrients, but none of them really require it. So, and that, the type of biology that would develop in a system like that would be fine, but you're not growing tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff like that in a, in a pond-based system. You have to use a different type of technology to get that done. Uh, sticking with ag for just a bit here and business as well. Vincent sent me an email. He said, I built a business. Thanks for the idea. It says three years ago, I binged listened to your show for a summer. Today I run a microgreens business in partnership with my brother-in-law. Family got closer. We're grossing 200000 dollars a year, and we'll keep growing lean and efficiently. Thanks for the tip. I learned about microgreens on your show. Check out our website, Agrarianfeast.com. Uh, you're a true inspiration. I feel like you are awesome. My awesome crazy Texas uncle best regards Vincent. Vincent, I want you to know emails like this make my day. There's times when I think to myself, because this, this is, I love what I do, but on some days, it's anything you do all the time ends up being hard at times. Like, am I really making a difference? And when I get an email like that, well, yeah, you are, dummy. Right? You have to be. If, you, if you've given a family uh, a, a pathway to a means of self-sufficiency through business ownership, how, how much bigger of a difference can you make for, for a person than to do that? And what a success, man! To go in three years and build something up to a two hundred thousand dollar concern. And uh, looking at their website, they're, they're doing a great job with their marketing too. Um, microgreens and mushrooms is what they're doing. They're doing their microgreens in a uh, uh, an indoor environment, which most people do. But it looks to me—I could be wrong—it looks almost like they've got a uh, maybe a container no it's too wide for that on the, the picture but yeah, you know, they got uh, the typical and of red red tinted lights going on lots of racks uh a really awesome system and the same thing john dowie's doing basically maybe a little bit different and they're not far from him they're over there in the uh, new york area microgreen mafia might become a thing guys if you want to know what microgreen mafia is you need to come to the fall workshops unless you're coming i guess you won't find out but uh that's a, an idea that we have for a non-reality reality show, right? Uh, and we're going to talk about that uh, at TSP 18. But good on you, man. And I'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out what you're doing. Here's the thing. Do I think that means that you should say, gee, I'm going to go out and start a business in microgreens? No. It's not what it means at all. If that's something that you really think would be a, a good place to start, if it's the kind of thing you can see yourself doing every day and enjoying, well, then maybe you should. The thing i I'm trying to get across people is you figure out what works for you and go do that. We, we, we literally live in a time and age where anybody who works hard enough can become successful at pretty much anything worth doing. I guess you could come up with some things that a person couldn't make money doing, and I would probably tell you, well, okay, you've proven yourself correct, but you've also proven that you have to try really hard to find something that's not worth doing in the first place. There is a lady I just posted on Facebook. She's making a living making art out of moose turds. I am not effing kidding. She has a clock with 12 moose turds on it. If you can make a living making art out of moose turds, What the hell can you not be successful at doing if you try hard enough? There's another guy. I don't know if this guy's still in business. He probably is. He's probably making good money to it. He has a a, a website. I think it was called Poopy Gifts. And basically, you can anonymously send somebody a really nice tin with like some Easter grass or whatever in there. Like they're getting a nice present, but it's a big pile of dog crap that you would send to somebody you don't like. I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm just saying, if a person can make a profit doing that, then whatever it is that you really want to do, that you really want to to make happen, and you, you really want to be doing in your life on a daily basis, you can probably find a way to tie it to something that is a source of income that can either be a side hustle or a full-time business. I, I mean, really. The question is, what do you want to do? I just did... The latest episode of Duck Chronicles today. I haven't published it yet, but I have, it is uploaded. I just haven't made it live. But in it, uh, I go out to one of my aquatic systems and I get a big clump of this plant called Salvinia. Salvinia is like uh, big duckweed, is the best way to think of it. It it looks a lot like duckweed, uh, except it's a lot bigger. It's probably, each individual plant is probably five times the size of an individual duckweed plant. But just like duckweed, ducks love it. So I have it all across the tops of my tanks, and I went out and got like a strainer full of it, and I put it in their little, there they have a little 14-gallon uh, concrete tub that's in their duck tractor that's for them to swim in right now, and I put it in there, and they all jump in and just start munching it. And I was talking to them, I said, you know, it's kind of funny that if I, if I were to like to become an eBay seller of this stuff, you know, I'm not going to make a living off of it alone, but this one plant, the amount of food I gave them, sells for about $8 to $12. So I just gave them eight to $12 in value, I guess you would see it. But to me, I have it in surplus beyond my, my needs. I literally have to take some of it out of the tanks every week or it'll choke itself out. It just grows that fast. And I'm not going to be able to sell a case of it a week or anything like that. Like this would be, if you were going to do a plant-based business, it'd be one product in your repertoire. So why don't I do it? Well, because I have a business that I love. And you, you you have to do something perfectly. You have to do something that perfectly is a terrible word. You have to do something very, very competently and run it very, very efficiently for it to be a business that's worth having. And you'll find that doing it with two different things is usually not very possible for most people, especially if you want to run your own business. You don't want to have a business that's managed by somebody and has employees and you just stand back. That kind of business ownership, you can own lots of those. But when it comes down to a business, it's really something you're going to do. It's better to have one. Now you can have f- products in that business. If you went into a plant business, you're not going to make a living on salvinia, duckweed, and water lettuce. But those could be products. But you could put together a portfolio as long as it's kind of congruent with each other, and that could be your thing. There's a guy that um, that I'm really fond of. On YouTube, that is, he calls himself the bio dude, and he's making a living selling all this stuff to set up reptile terrariums in what's called a bioactive way. And this is where you have basically a living system. You know, the animals are kept on a soil-based system, and you have little isopods and springtails, which are little insects. Actually, they're not insects, but think of them as bugs, okay, that live in there, that actually break down like the animal's poop. So you don't have to ever clean it once you get it up and running. Plants are actively growing in there and all this stuff. And he's selling all this stuff to set these things up. He doesn't even sell the animals. He's built his entire business on YouTube. One of the products he sells is live oak leaves for, you know, like covering of the bottom. He sells it to people in Texas. I don't know if you've checked, but we have a few live oak trees in Texas. A dude that can sell a guy a bag of oak leaves in the state of Texas is doing something right. But that's what he loves. And I've watched him grow his business on YouTube, and it's pretty amazing. He started out, he was a partner with a guy that had like a big pet store type thing. And he kind of wanted to do his own thing, so he left that because I I got the feeling like he was a very minor partner. And he basically rented a stall, like a, a single storage unit at like a storage place and set up a business there. That's his office. And he's, like, taking the damn place over. Like, every time he does an update on his office stuff, it's like, I moved in here, and I have an air conditioner for this, for customer service, and we got this unit over here. Now he took the one across the street. He's got, like, nine or 12 employees or something like that. He looks like he's about 30 years old, and he's selling wood and dirt and bugs. So when you tell me, like, life is harder than it was for our grandparents, I think you're ignorant, I didn't say stupid. I think you're ignorant to the reality of what it was like. It's, it's something we all buy into. The false nostalgia of yesteryear. How it was so much better back in the day, and Dad just worked his blue-collar job, and he had enough money for it. No, it was always a struggle. We became two income households because it was a struggle. Yes, the struggle got worse. Yes, the struggle got worse. But it was always a struggle. There's never been a time in history where a man in Houston, Texas could launch a business selling dirt, leaves, and bugs to people that wanted to keep lizards and build that business into a 9 to 12 employee business in a few years. More than right now. Because what you you could have done in 1980, and you know what you would have done? You would have mostly sold product in Houston. In the surrounding areas, you would have needed a storefront. You would not have been able to do business out of, you know, a, a storage facility, or you would have had to do a lot of direct mail, magazine, back of magazine advertising stuff like that. No, this guy's a YouTube channel. Let me show you how I build these. Here's where my frogs are. Look at how it looks. Would you like this? Go to my site and buy my stuff. It's amazing. So you got a guy doing microgreens you got a lady selling moose turds. you got a kid selling dirt and leaves to people that want to keep lizards. What do you want to do? And my my question for you after you answer that one is, then why aren't you doing it? Then why aren't you doing it? Because some people are going to say, what I want to do is what I'm doing now. And that might be I already have my business, so shut up, Jack, leave me alone. Well, then you know what I'm saying is true, though, right? Or I don't want a business. Fine. I have no problem with people that say I just don't want a business. I, I completely understand that. There is some level of peace that comes with I wake up, I go to work, I do my job, I come home, and they can piss off. I got my benefits covered, I have my paycheck. That's, and if that's what you want, I will not put you down for it. I will tell you this, though. You will never have the freedom and independence you do when you own your own business. So if it is what you want... I'm going to tell you, remember last week we had Twisted Sisters song, The Price? You're going to have that moment if you do this. You're going to have that moment where you say, is this worth all this work and all this effort? And the answer to that is not necessarily yes or no. It's the classic Spirico answer, the classic permaculture answer. It depends. If the reason you're having that moment is because it's just a natural process and you're moving in the right direction and you're doing the right things, the answer is yes. If the reason you're at that point is because you're not doing it right, you're not doing it effectively, you're making bad decisions in the business and it's never going to succeed, then the answer to is it worth the price is no, it's not. So there is that gut check within there. You have to make sure you're doing the right things the right way. And you're not just letting things, like one day they'll pick up, one day they'll pick up, one day they'll pick up. What are you doing to make it happen? But if you're willing to do the right things, you're willing to do the work, you're willing to constantly make sure that you're on the right path, you're willing to challenge yourself, you're willing to try new things, you're willing to test out different marketing, until you find what works for you, then the answer to the question is absolutely effing yes. Because in the end, you have something no one can take from you. No one can ever take this guy's business from him. Okay, the state, but you—that's so your—that's those people that are just Debbie Downers, right? Like, sure, he could end up a follow of the IRS or the Revenue Department of New York. That's not hard, right? Sure, but in the end, you really can't take what this guy has. The lady selling the moose turds—you really can't take what she has. The kid selling leaves and dirt to lizard people, you can't take what he has. Because they have reached a crossover point where they know what it takes. So if you did take that thing, they'll go take something else and do it again. It's a power that you have and it changes everything about the way you view the world. I want this for people as much for how it changes the way they see things like politics and taxation as I do for the the, the direct benefits of it. Because when you create something of your own, you start to understand how insidious the state really is. And you get really good at playing the state's game their way so that you win. Anyway, let's move on to uh, another one. Um, This is a question on getting the most out of a creek on your property. Question comes to us from Brian. Brian says, looking for some suggestions on how to get the most use out of a small creek on property. My wife and I are getting ready to move into a 10 acre foothill property in northern Colorado. Among other features, the acreage has a small creek running through it as it is still trickling during the past few weeks when we've had very little and no rain uh, at all. I think it must be spring fed higher up and we'll always have at least some water in it year round. I'm currently planning out my Uh, Planting my trees and shrubs as I think, uh, moist nature of the area around the creek will make an excellent food forest ecosystem. My main question is how can I alter the creek a bit through use of stones, pathways, etc., in order to perhaps slow its flow a bit, maybe increase its meandering while it's still on our property. Uh, As you've talked about before, water rights here in Colorado are beyond heinous. Uh, So for the time, I'm not allowed to stop the flow of the creek or even create a small pond. But if I can cause the creek to stay on my land for a bit longer, I think the added water absorption will be beneficial to our plans. Any thoughts, suggestions, or resources, Brian? Um, Given the water rights issues in Colorado, my instinct would be to make whatever you do look as natural as possible. The chief thing I would do is create weirs which are basically like dams that the water flows over the top of. And I would use rock to do it. And I would try to use rock that's native to your area. One, because it just makes more sense. It doesn't cost any money to go pick rocks up and move them around. Uh, But I would create a series of weirs that cause the creek, exactly what you said, to let it back up, uh, reduce the speed that the water flows out of the property. I don't know that this is technically legal, but it probably won't cause you any problems. What you don't want is a neighbor down the way to have the creek stop flowing for them forever. At, at any, unless it stops for everybody, because it just it does. That causes people to get upset. That causes the Department of Making You Sad to get a phone call. All, all kinds of bad stuff. So I would do it sl- a slow transformation over time. As far as altering the path of the creek, I think that definitely gets into the world, world of pissing off the Department of Making You Sad. And uh, probably... Doesn't make a lot of sense to do anyway because altering a creek is actually more complicated than you'd think it is. And that body of water always kind of wants to go back to where it was. But those are the things I would do. I'd be trying to create little pockets of water. Um, my personal goal would be to create pockets of water capable of sustaining fish. I, I think that's like, it's a huge win if you could do that. Colorado, you know, you can, you can have trout. Um, would be a fantastic thing to have, be able to walk on your property and fish for trout. I mean, that, that would be amazing. And you don't need huge amounts of water for this to be the case. There was a creek uh, that I used to fish for brook trout in Pennsylvania that flowed into one of the water dams for the city. And, uh, I mean, there were places where, you know, if my dog laid down in that creek, he'd touch it bank to bank, and the water would never have come over his back. But there are also little pockets where you might have, you know, something the size of like two or three big kiddie pools of water held up, and there were nice brook trout in there. So that would be and I, I do think if you slow the flow of the water, you will get more seepage into the land and, and it probably will be beneficial. And planting, you know, instead of thinking of it as a typical food forest, think of it more as a riparian barrier that happens to be productive forest along the banks of the creek, I think, makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a tremendous amount of sense. For me to get more specific, I'd have to know more about it, like how big it is, how deep it is, kind of what your flow-through speeds are and things like that. But but I would I would set about, if I had a creek on any property, the, the very first thing I would do is start as high up, and I would put in a line of rocks, and I'd see what it does to the water. And I would never stop the flow so you're just setting rocks side by side so it's like a a permeable dam but that's going to slow water down and it's going to start building up and if what it did it didn't seem like it was going to cause any problems and it could be a little bit more then I'd go another layer of rocks and I'd see what that did and when I got that area and said I think this is nice and I think this is as far as I want to go right now I'd go down creek a little bit and I would do it again and I would just keep doing that. And and what you'll probably find in doing that is you'll actually start to build a reservoir of water, yes, into the land, but actually will probably make the creek more sustainable over time and, and bring in more ecology. And I think what it can do for you from a standpoint of bringing wildlife in is probably and, – and, and increasing uh, biodiversity is probably massive. So that's the approach. That's the simple, low-tech approach that I would take – that probably will not cause you any problems with the department making you sad. Mm-hmm. Another way that you can actually slow the flow of, of, of water, though, is with trees. And if I were going to do that, I might fell a tree into the creek, because uh, you can do a lot with that. That can create structure. It can hold hold water back, but also can create, like, habitat. But then I might make it look like that tree fell over naturally. It doesn't necessarily want it to look like I put it down with a chainsaw. Uh, If you ever decide to do any excavator work, and there's a tree or two, you might want to put down into that water, you know, grubbing out the roots a bit and shoving it over with an excavator. Hey, you know, there's a storm and it fell. I figured I should leave it alone because it's nature, right? And that's how I would try to do this. And, again, since you're not actually stopping the water I think unless you advertise greatly what you're doing, you're not going to have any problems. All right, with that, let's, let's get a little political again, just for the hell of it today, right? Um, John in Park sent me this article, and the title of the article is Planning to Vote in November Election, Why Most Americans Probably Won't, from the New York Times. And this article harkens back to how great it was when parties basically tried to buy votes by doing things for people. And if, if we had that again, then people might vote again. Uh, and you can read it if you want to. It's very, very long. Um, but there's a quote in it that John it, it highlighted for me. And it's really what I wanted to talk about. The one lady in this article, she said, My sister said, since we didn't vote so we don't have any right to complain, she said, that may be true, but I might have felt even worse voting for some of these people. Okay. There's two sides to that. One is a very legitimate statement that she would feel wrong for having supported any of the people that she had a choice to vote for. Um, that's actually the core of the issue. But it, the, the, the concession that you don't have a right to complain is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. This is propaganda, is what this is. This is absolute propaganda. It is a brainwashing it is a catchphrase. Whenever something gets whittled down to being a catchphrase, you have to understand that it may or may not be true, but it in of itself is not a logical, reasonable, well-thought-out argument. No catchphrase in of itself is a well-thought-out logical argument. You then, since you have now made the claim that if I don't vote, I don't have to right to complain, now you need to, without using catchphrases... Make a logical, compelling argument with, with effective rhetoric demonstrating your claim. Since I am claiming that you're full of shit, I am obligated to do the same thing. So here's how this works. And I had an article where I laid this out back in 2014 very clearly. And even though I killed every objection in the article, people still used catchphrases to try to object. It was, it was sad. There's a lot of hatred. I have a link to it in the show notes if you want to read it from back then. But the comments are really the gold of reading it. But here's how this works. Telling someone, you don't have a right to complain if you don't vote, is just, it's it's obnoxious on its face. It, It really is. It's obnoxious on its face. So if I had a woman, and she was going to be raped, and I said, I have three men here that will rape you differently, They're now going to explain in great detail the process by which you'll be raped if you pick one of them. Pick one. And they did. And she said, I'm not picking any of these people to rape me. And I said, listen, one of them's going to do it. If you don't do it, then there's a pool going around, and whoever gets picked, they'll rape you. And she says, I'm going to resist, but I'm not going to participate. And then man B gets selected and proceeds to rape her, you're going to tell her she doesn't have a right to complain? It's nonsensical. And it's the same thing. When you tell somebody that they are obligated to vote, what you are saying is that one of the people running is entitled to their endorsement. One of these people is entitled to me endorsing them. That's what a vote is. It's an endorsement. I select as my president, my congressman, my dog catcher, this person here. If none of those people, if none of those people are the quality that I think should be in that position, I am voting by not voting. I have other reasons I don't vote, but even people that do believe in voting, that say I'm not voting because of that, totally legitimate objection. You're not entitled to my vote. Donald Trump's not entitled to my vote. Hillary Clinton wasn't entitled to my vote. Gary Johnson wasn't entitled to my vote. And in the end, people say that until you tell them, well, here's what I would have voted for. Then they flip their shit, right? And let's say, well, write in somebody. It doesn't do any good for me to write anybody in, does it? Does it actually matter? Do you think anybody cares? I'm making a statement by, by voting for a libertarian. No, you're not. No one cares. You can't even tell me, there's not a person out there that can tell me the percentage of the vote that Gary Johnson got in the last presidential election without looking it up. No one cares. And you haven't thought about it until today when I brought it up since it, since he lost again. Cuz it doesn't matter. It doesn't make an impact. And your individual vote doesn't matter. One citizen, one vote, it's 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 a mirage. The mob makes the decision and the middle of the mob makes the decision in every election. You have about equal numbers of people that are going to vote along party lines no matter who runs. You could have a fine upstanding man who you disagree with on a political point or two, who's as close to your side as someone on the other party could be, running against a dog, and the person would vote for the dog. Okay? That's, that is how partisan the majorities of the, the mob are. Then there's the middle mob that moves back and forth. Those people determine every election. And where they don't, then the, the election is not in dispute. They're the places where, yeah, the, the Republican or the Democrat won again, and they got 90% of the vote. Well, then there's no mob to the, 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 the tyranny of the majority there. But th- this concept, we got to get past this concept, guys.
0: If you don't vote, you can't complain.
1: It's a catchphrase. And it's a guilting catchphrase designed to make people participate in being one of the monkeys flinging shit at each other. Now, I don't fault you if you vote. I don't fault you if you vote. But let me tell you what actually does make a political statement: when two-thirds or more of the people who could vote choose not to, they have made a statement. I do not see what you're doing as legitimate. That's what you when you don't vote. That's what you're actually saying. I don't see this process as legitimate. I don't believe I have a voice. I'm not going to do this for cathartic reasons. I'm not going to do this because you're going to give me a sticker. I'm not going to do this because you you made me feel bad for not doing it. And I damn sure ain't going to do it because you throw a catchphrase at me. I'm going to do what I think is right. And and this is what amazed me. In that article, I said, if you think you should vote, then you should vote. And I was mercilessly attacked. And I'll tell you what really triggers people when you make a statement like that. It hits a chord in their heart, and they know it's true. They know the argument you made is valid. But they can't let go, so they're going to do it anyway. You don't tell anybody else what to do. You say, I'm doing this for this reason, and they get angry at you. If there were no truth in your words, they would not be angry. They wouldn't be angry. they just say, okay, so, yeah. And and they, well, this person made a statement they're not voting. Well, 66% or more of voters don't vote anyway. You're not mad at them. You're mad at me because I made a statement. You're not even mad at me because I made a statement. You're mad at me because I made a compelling, logical argument that you can't refute with your catchphrases. You want me to vote? What I said in that article is you will have to give me something to vote for. I am done voting against things. Because that's all I've ever felt like in every election that I've ever voted for. in. Hey, this guy sucks. This guy sucks worse. I'm voting against the guy that sucks worse by choosing the guy that sucks. If you want to do that, go for it. And like I said, I think you'll have a much higher turnout in this election than you usually do, especially from the conservative base. But I still think the majority of people, the majority being 51% or more, will abstain from voting. And I think the main reason that they'll give, if they're being honest, not, well, I didn't have time. You have time. You have time. I guarantee you did something that most people would consider less important with the time that you would have taken to go check a box. The real answer is, I don't think that it matters. I don't think that it matters. You want to get those people to vote you got to show them some way that it matters. And that's the truth. Uh, totally different type of question. Let's talk here about uh, trees. It says, uh, and this is from Matt. Matt says, "What is the best way to plant fruit trees uh, seeds in the fall?" I have uh, one hundred percent, one hundred plus fruit trees that I have planted over a four year period. Fourteen types of fruit and nut trees. Uh, I have a lot of fruit tree seeds that I brought that I want to start to plant in the fall, without stratifying them in the fridge. I have an area I planted uh, a bunch of small trees that didn't take last year due to a lack of watering, and I wanted to plant four to six seeds per spot and then prune out the least hardy later. Should I just plant in the ground? Or should I do a seed ball cover with mulch? Do I water them consistently? I'm in a Louisville, Kentucky area. It's open field with decent soil. Thanks for everything you do, Matt, in Kentucky. Um, so I'll tell you what to do, and I'll tell you why I wouldn't do it, and I would actually stratify the seeds. I would say more along the lines of 10 to 20 seeds per place you want one to get a chance that four or five might actually make it. You're going to need to make sure that those areas are watered and protected. And um, you're still going to have pretty low success rate. But if you do that, you will definitely, you're doing the stun method here. Sheer total utter neglect. You're putting the seeds in the ground. You're letting nature take its course. The the most, you're going to have a small number of survivors. The strongest survivor or the survivor with the characteristics that you most want to emulate, you will allow to become the main survivor and take a chainsaw to the rest. Totally valid. Okay, the issues. When you leave seeds in the ground, mice eat them, squirrels eat them, deers eat them, turkeys eat them. They get too wet and they rot. They get too they get wet enough and they get a, a bump in temperature where they germinate and then they dry out or then they get too cold and they die, etc. What I would do, if I were you, is I would stratify all these seeds in the refrigerator and I would plant them as early in the spring as makes sense as my climate. And I think that your success rate will be like not just 100% better, because 100% would better would be, I put, you know, 10 seeds out and 4 sprouted. I think it will be, you know, that would, that would be an 8. Uh, 8 would be 100% better. I think you're more likely to have, out of 100 seeds, planting them in the fall, like 5 to actually grow. And I think that if you stratify them, and plant them, and yes, you're going to have to irrigate them to get them started, Um, I I think you're more like 90%. So you can do the math on how much better that is. And stratifying even a shitload of seed, nut, whatever, in your refrigerator doesn't take much space. You can use something like vermiculite and put, put them in a jar, in vermiculite or something like that, or plastic bags or whatever, just label them. Uh, I, I think you'll have so much better, and you don't even, most of them, they say, you know, you got to stratify them for like six months or whatever. Most of them a couple, three months is all you really need. So you could even not even put them into stratification until, let's say, right after Christmas, and you could still be planting them in March. And, and th- that's what I would do. So I know you said you didn't want to, you didn't say why, but yes, trees can naturally reproduce, yes, they can overwinter, but... You, what you're trying to do is give every opportunity for nature to do what you want to do. So you think people about working with nature, and, and what Nick Fergus and I both have become very fond of saying when people say that is, well, then give something nature, give nature something to work with. And 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 I think that you would just be better off doing a stratification. Um, last one. Um, this comes from John in Moore Park again. It says, where is my tin hat? Phones around the country will buzz with the first national emergency alert test. It's called the presidential level alert, but he won't write the message. Read the full story here. And I have a link to it where you can learn more about it. I want to talk about two things about this thing as we, uh, as we wrap up. Number one, what it says about our country that people are actually upset about this. It, it means that in general, people have lost their effing minds, especially the left with this. Donald Trump's in dating my cell phone. Shut. Up, you moron shut up you absolute ass clown moron idiotic brain-dead waste of skin and oxygen somewhere there is a tree working hard converting co2 to oxygen for you to breathe and in the words of dr gregory house you owe it an apology you brain-dead moron first of all this thing was put in place under barack obama It is a federal law that it be tested at least once every three years. It is a text message that shows up on your phone that says, hey, we're here and it works. It is not a conspiracy theory. They are not going to do anything to hurt you with it. It is not an invasion. You are not being violated. Uh, Some of these celebrity morons like, I don't consent to this. Shut up. There's so many things to be upset with the government about. This is not one of them. You brain dead infantile freaking idiot god you detest me you people god now the other thing i wanted to talk to you about this is there is a myth john mcafee came out and said they can use this thing to activate the e911 chip in your phone and track you turn on your microphone and listen to you turn your camera and video you do all these things and i know this because i'm john mcafee and i know everything One word response, or two words, depending on how you spell it, but proper English is a single word. Bullshit. Bullshit. That is not how this works. And McAfee knows that's not how this works. He just likes to troll people. And I wouldn't care if it was just good old-fashioned trolling, but so many people are so stupid as to believe this. I've seen you idiots sharing this on social media saying it must be true because McAfee said so. McAfee also said that we would all be millionaires if we owned some Bitcoin by now because it would be up to $100,000. I'm a big believer in cryptocurrency, but where's my $100,000 a piece on my Bitcoin, John? Where is it? You idiot. You're not an idiot. You're a troll and a damn good one. I salute you as the troll that you are, but I'm calling bullshit on your latest troll. All right, so here's how this works. This is a text message system that sends you a message. It is not going to infiltrate your phone. And the question you would ask is why would the government do this? Well, they would do it because they want to be able to track people and use their phones and all that shit. Okay. So, but why would you use a text alert system in with which to do it? Well, Jack, that way they can roll it out and see if it works. Shut up! Okay, let me put it to you a different way, if you're a believer in this nonsensical conspiracy theory, which I have an article link that you can read completely debunking this on a technology basis, which I could do for you as well, but you would get bored. But let me ask you a different question. If the government already had the ability to access your phone, to track you, to turn on your microphone, to turn on your camera, to harvest data off of your phone, etc. If the government already could do this, why would they roll out a text message system as another way with which to do it? And the answer to that question would be, well, they, they wouldn't. There'd be no reason to put effort into yet another way to do it if they already had access. Oh, well, do they already have the ability to do all that shit? Did you see the movie Snowden? Do you know that's what he lost his shit about? One of the many things he lost his shit about? How many years ago was that? Who was president then? Did we have this text message allergic emergency alert system thing back then? No? We did under Obama. Did we have it all the way back then under Snowden? Or when Snowden was you know kind of blowing his top? No, we didn't? Hmm. So you mean... They already have technology capable of doing this stuff. They can access, you know, your, your laptop, uh, camera on your laptop. It's funny you hear Mark Zuckerberg talk about how you don't have anything to worry about. Every time you see a picture of him with his computer, he's got like a piece of tape over the camera lens. Isn't that kind of funny? Oh, don't worry about it. It's fine, but not for me. All right? So it's not the government wouldn't do this. It's not the government's not doing this. It's to conflating the two things is retarded. It's idiotic. It's moronic. It's, you have a sending technology that sends a text message. Why Why would they be, like, if, if, well, you know, that they can get it on everybody's phone. Well, don't you think if they could write technology, and they can, that's that good, and they did, they, they wouldn't broadcast it. They would just do it where you don't see it, which is what they do. This is, see, and this willingness to believe something so preposterous shows what hatred of an individual can do. And I want to bring it back to where I started. I hated in 1998. I hated the Clintons. I'm not fond of them today. Okay. But I hated them not as a individual person who despises most politicians. I hated them as a good Republican. And because I hated them as a good Republican, I didn't care what would get rid of him, just that something did. So impeaching a president over a blowjob, I was totally fine with it. Today I can look back and go, boy, that was stupid. That was stupid. But Bill Clinton sucks and he did all these horrible things. Yes, but that's not, that does not make impeaching a guy over lying about a blowjob. That does not make that okay. Just like Kavanaugh sucks on the Fourth Amendment. You're right. That does not make character assassination of an individual based on an accusation, absent any evidence, okay. It doesn't make it okay. It's a weird thing. You get into a place where when you say principle over preference and you actually mean it, you end up defending people who you'd rather not defend. You'd rather not defend them. I'd rather not defend James uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I, I would much rather not. But you put me in a position, you guys on the left, by your hysteria and your nonsense and your hyperbole with millions will die. That's so asinine. Now I have to defend him. And then you go over the top. You find this woman that I do believe has mental problems. I believe if this woman was subjected to a basic psychological evaluation the way she would have been if this had been a criminal claim, then defense would have said, hey, what is this person's mental state? It's a reasonable question. They would find there are problems with this woman mentally. Her story is inconsistent. It's proven that she's made some some things she said were lies. I'm afraid to fly in a plane, and yet you're buzzing around in Hawaii on a prop plane. It was a stall tactic. That's a lie. That it was repeated under oath, that's a lie. Kavanaugh lied under oath. Maybe. But perjury under oath is not you're bragging. Or not you didn't, you know, what is a lot. Things like that. Perjury is specifically designed to mislead and intentional and has to be relevant and material to the fact. Well, when you say something like well, did you ever coach anybody on how to pass a polygraph? And they go 100% absolutely not in a Judiciary Committee hearing and then it comes out that your boyfriend of six years not six months or six days six years says that's not true. Here's a sworn statement from me. I saw her do this with a person applying for a job with the FBI. Now, she could make the case well, I forgot about it. She forgets about a lot of things apparently. But... That is a major inconsistency. And so when you have someone whose story is inconsistent, the the, the memories are not specific. They claim to have blacked out parts of it for years and not remembered it till later. You can't convict somebody. And I don't just mean put them in jail. I mean destroy their life on that accusation because where are we? Where are we? When you get to where you can. Anybody who's an enemy, you find someone to accuse them, and now they're done. You talk about a totalitarian society. This is the way that things work in Russia with the gulags. He said something bad about Dear Leader. He's going away to Siberia. This is how shit works in North Korea right now. He complained about the monthly ration. Off to the work camp he and his family go. I say, well, that can't happen here. When you make it okay to attack somebody for something that they're simply accused of or even something they did that really isn't as big a deal just because you disagree with them, just because they did other things that are wrong. Once you do that, you've lost the only thing, the only thing that matters the most about what's different about this country and every nation that preceded it. The presumption of innocence until proven guilty is the cornerstone of the republic that we have. The fact that people are willing to dig that cornerstone out of the foundation without an understanding of how it affects the rest of the structure should scare the shit out of anybody who's sane and rational, And values liberty. Because the people that say, well, I know he did it. No, you don't. You don't know he did it any more than I know he didn't do it. You believe it. She was believable. Actresses are believable. When we were children, a cartoon deer made us cry. It wasn't real. It was a cartoon. When you watch a movie, an actress plays a believable part. An actor plays a believable part. We are not to be swung by the passions of emotion in making decisions like this, but rather the preponderance of evidence. And I am done on this issue. I will not bring it up again, but it is how I wanted to end the show today because what I have just seen, I've always called it the ass Clown Circus. What I have just seen makes me wish back for the days of the old-ass clown circus. It's just that bad. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up today. I want to remind you, if you like the show and the work that I do, you can help support our show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. We have different items up for review there all the time. Today's item of the day is the Nebo 6350 Larry Work Light. Um, I received an email from a guy that said he found one of these in a drop ceiling, doing some work at a customer's building. Given it was long abandoned with dead batteries, he took it home, found it, took three AAA batteries, and popped to set in. His first thought was, man, this thing's bright. His second thought was, I wonder how much they cost. A simple wedge search led him to find this amazing little light, and it was only about 8 bucks. He then emailed me about it. I ordered two of these, and I'll be ordering more. This little thing is slick, super lightweight, fits in a shirt pocket like a pen. The base is flat, so it will stand up on any flat surface, uh, and the clip has a magnet, so it'll stick to metal, or you can hang it on anything convenient. Really great for doing, you know, hands-free work and always having a light on you. Um, the thing's bright, 170 looms on three AAA batteries. Um, you can check out; I've got a video on it. It's a great product. Um, they actually have a four-pack in four different colors for 32 bucks with free shipping. That's eight twenty-four a piece. Uh so that would save you about a dollar thirteen uh on on four. So it's cheap. it's around eight to nine dollars a piece anyway. It's a great light. Um what I call it an EDC light. I, I think that would depend on how you mean. Uh I I carry a Streamlight Stylus Pro as my EDC light. If I did a lot of work like I did back in the nineties on computers and stuff like that, this would be something I would carry in a shirt or a toolkit at all times because it's a better light for that type of application it's also cheap enough and the batteries last a long time in it uh, that you might take one and hang it from a string or something like out in a warehouse uh, or a shed or something like that or uh, you know I have one in my greenhouse so when I go out there if I happen to go out there in the night uh, I can just reach up and turn that on and I have something I can move around and see what's going on so it's a great item again it's the Nebo Larry Work Light 6350 uh, our item of the day, but remember, you can help support us in the work we do no matter what you buy, as long as you do your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com. That brings us to our song of the day today. Uh, the song of the day today is um, beginning uh, a week of music by Chris Ledoux. Um, this song is Hard Times, and it's a it's a great song. It's classic Chris Ledoux before everybody knew who he was. This song was released the same year that Chris Ledoux became known nationally when Garth Brooks put him into the line of a song. And much too young to feel this damn old. He put in the line that said, A worn out tape of Chris Ledoux. That's all that that one little line that was written in there. Must be the only friends I have left at all. Yeah, that that line. And everybody was like, Who is this Chris Ledoux guy? And when people found him, they were like, Wow, this guy's really something especially different. Um, Chris Ledoux, though is a lesson in a lot of things. One is that there actually are real cowboys that make music. I mean, this guy was a Saddle Bronc rodeo champion back in the 70s. He worked really hard for that. He also really always loved making music, and he wanted to be successful. And he's an example of people not seeing the opportunity they have today. So between 1971 and 1989, Chris Ledoux released 19 albums. 19 albums, mostly cassettes, self-produced, self-labeled. That's about one a year. There were some years he didn't release one, but he released two in other years. But on average, he put out an album a year for 19 years, remaining pretty much an unknown, having a cult following. And this is what people don't understand about that whole line with Garth Brooks. That wasn't just some guy he found somewhere that thought, hey, I'll do this guy, so i a name in a song. Because it rhymes, Garth Brooks and a lot of modern country people that took the show to another level. I know some people. I like Garth Brooks before he was hanging by wires. Shut up, shut up. You mean where he actually cared that everybody that paid for a ticket got to see him? You mean that? That was so wrong. Anyway, these big shows with fire and theatrics and all, uh, the, the country music turned into. There's some good and bad in there, but you know it really is entertainment. It all started with Chris LeDoux. In the Western Underground. These guys had a huge cult following. They were doing shows like that on a much smaller scale because they didn't have the money to do them bigger scales. And his records were selling like crazy, actually tapes again, and they were mostly selling to things like feed stores and stuff like that. And and they were running the business by mailing the tapes to resellers out of their house. And you you, you, you get back now, you get where I'm going to go with this? What I talked about with building a business earlier, with things like YouTube and social media and the Internet. people I, I know people in this audience that are musicians and they say they want to succeed in music. Why aren't you putting out a song a day? You can't come up with one that you write yourself. Do a cover. Put it on your YouTube channel every day. If you say you love music and you make music, why aren't you putting out a song a day? Well, I need a sound studio? No, you don't. No, you don't. Do the best you can. You'll get better as you go. Put out a song a day or shut up and don't tell me you want to be successful. When this guy was able to produce 19 records, 19 albums in 19 years with no internet, when the only way you could get that music to go somewhere was on a tape or a record and become a mega success, hard times. Hard times. Sometimes hard times are situational, like in this song. But I find a lot of times that hard times are a choice. We can either have hard times because life's not going our way and we're not doing anything except just fighting the wind in it, so to say. Or we can have hard times because we're battling for what we really want and there's something on the other end of it. It's up to you. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: The old man stands by the loading sheep. sold his calves today. He spits in the dust between his boots as a semi pulls away. Slick blue check in his grimy hand Shoves down in his coat Won't make the payment on the land Pay the interest on the note Oh, oh And wife, two children and a home, plans to build a better life, put a mortgage on his own. Lost his job when the boom went bust, still got bills to pay. Now he's picking up cans in the roadside dust. She's at the Feed Rack Cafe. Oh, it's hard, hard time Now the old gray banker sits behind his desk Beneath a worried frown He shuffles through the tangled mess Of some good folks going down Known some of them for 30 years Some point the finger of blame No one sees the banker's tears The one that shares his name Oh, it's hard, hard time